2,000 years ago, our Lord Jesus taught us how we as Christians ought to live. Our Lord never sugarcoats or backs away from tough or offensive subjects. Bob Dylan wrote, You're gonna have to serve somebody. Well, it may be the devil or it may be the Lord, but you're gonna have to serve somebody. Dylan understands humans. He understands himself. Here is what Jesus says about servitude and commitment in Matthew 6, 24. No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Jesus demands unswerving loyalty to him and to his kingdom standards. In the summer of 1979, I was going into grade 12, and I was very, very much on fire for the Lord. I, I had a great joy and a great devotion. I was teaching Sunday school, and I was preparing to go to Bible college. I had one more year of school left, and then I would be off to Bible school. And I remember uh, that summer, summer of 1979. Bob Dylan came out with that number, with that hit. It was number 24 in the top 40, and it stayed there for about 12 weeks. And the words go like this. You're going to have to serve somebody. Yes, indeed, you're going to have to serve somebody. Well, it may be the devil or it may be the Lord, but you're going to have to serve somebody. Now, Bob Dylan was a, a, a real a rock icon, I guess. Uh, he sang ballads. He, he just was very diverse in, in his ability and his capability. And this, for this song, he won a Grammy. It was his first Grammy for the best vocal performance by a male in 1979. Now, I got to tell you, I've never been a fan of Bob Dylan or his voice but this song really thrilled me. Uh, Bob Dylan had become a Christian in the, I guess, around 1979. And it was an exciting time to be a Christian because it seemed that, that uh, everybody was very much aware of it and everybody uh, recognized that it was really quite special. Sadly, this so-called born-again experience of Bob Dylan only lasted for three years. And he decided very clearly to, to not serve the Lord. Or in his own words, he decided to serve the devil. That's his words, not mine. Jesus says something very similar in the same blunt way. He says in Matthew 6, 24, No one can serve two masters, for you will hate one and love the other, You'll be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and be enslaved to mammon or money. I'll talk more about what mammon is in just a few moments. But before I do that, I want to read to you the passage that, that this comes from, uh, just so that it's, you understand this passage in context. 
And I'm reading, and if you have your Bibles, please take them and turn to Matthew 6, 19 to 24. This is the third time I've read this passage, and it's important for us to understand uh, that, it, that there's, there's an idea that Jesus wants to communicate to us. He wants us to be singular in our devotion to God. He, he is clearly pointing out to us in this passage that I'm going to read to you that so many of us are divided in our loyalties. We're divided in our focus. We're divided in what we love. Our heart is divided. It's, it's divided between the love of what we love and, and, and our love for the Lord. Last week we talked about how, well, the difference between the generous eye versus the evil eye. It's really talking about a worldview. Jesus is talking about living life as one who is generous or as one who is loving. Remember, uh, loving God and loving others sums up the whole Bible. And Jesus says, you, you need to have that worldview, a generous eye versus an evil eye, which, which is a Hebrew idiom meaning to be stingy or lack generosity. That's what we learned last week. Well, now Jesus is, is pointing out to us that we have to we have to have one master. We have to understand you can't serve two masters. So let me read the passage. Matthew 6, 19 to 24. Don't store up treasures here on earth where moths eat them and rust destroys them and where thieves break in and steal. Store your treasure in heaven where moths and rust cannot destroy and thieves do not break in and steal. Wherever your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will also be. And so there it is. Jesus is saying we need to be singular in terms of what we love. And if you love the things of this world, then you are uh, definitely not loving the things of eternity. Understand that you and I, because we've been created in the image of God, we have been created as eternal beings. And then Jesus says, your eye is like a lamp that provides light for your body. When your eye is healthy, your whole body is filled with light. But when your eye is unhealthy, your whole body is filled with darkness. And if the light you think you have is actually darkness, how deep that darkness is. Again, it's the difference between living with a generous worldview versus a stingy worldview. And if you're going to be like God, if you are going to be anything like Christ, then you understand that, that God is a giver. He gave his son. Jesus gave his life. And we give our lives, and we, we give to serve others. And then finally, no one can serve two masters, verse 24, for you will hate one and love the other. You will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and be enslaved to money. Jesus says you can serve only one master. Let us be clear about the wording in this passage. It's really, really important. Uh, the ideas that Jesus was sharing 2,000 years ago can sometimes be lost over time because our culture is different and our understanding is different. Jesus says no one can serve two masters. That word serve in Greek is the verb dulevin, which is literally translated to be slaving. So Jesus is saying no one can be slaving to two masters. We don't like to use the term slave because of all of the 
negative and evil connotations. We, we're all familiar with the idea of slavery. And I'll, it's, uh, it's something that, that we would prefer not to talk about. And yet this clearly is the language that Jesus is using. It's extreme. It's shocking. It's blunt. It, it jars you. And in our language, in English, we like to maybe tone it down a little bit and use the word serve. But we don't even like using the term serve because even that has got negative connotations. You know, we as humans are, uh, we love our autonomy. We don't like having anybody tell us what to do or, or where to go or how to live. And yet Jesus says, you cannot be slaving. To two masters. You can only have one master. So what does that mean? When I was in Bible college, I was offered a part-time cleaning job where I could make a lot of money, and I, and I did actually try it out. I tried uh, cleaning, and I remember getting my first paycheck. Uh, I, I look back now to realize that it wasn't that much, but when you have no money, it seemed like an awful lot of money. And so suddenly I found myself in a position where I, I could do modestly well at Bible school, in Bible college with my studies, or I could make you know, a fair bit of money. And I, I realized in that moment that, that the Spirit of God was, was, was poking me. And you know what that feels like when God is, is, is poking you and making you think about what you're doing and how you're living. And I knew that I had to make a decision. I knew that I could not be a servant of money as well as a servant of, of my studies or, or to use the language of Jesus. No one can be a slave to two masters. I knew that I had to choose my studies because that was my future. I was called by God into the ministry. I was called to be a full-time slave of God. I want us to look at that word master Again, in the Greek, that word master is kyrios, which is sometimes translated as lord, and it refers to a slave owner. A, a slave owner is a master of slaves, and a master was a full and complete owner of the slave. Now, I want you to stop and think about that for a moment. We are, if you're a Christian, you are owned by God, who is your master, your Lord. And as your Lord, he has the right to tell you what to do. He has the right to have expectations of you. There is no such thing as a partial obligation to the master. If you are a slave, you understand that your slave owner, and in this case it would be God, he, he owns us, and we owe our master full-time service. We owe him our absolute devotion and commitment. We cannot have divided loyalties. We cannot have a divided service, as it were. If you are a slave to God, then you have nothing left for anybody else. That's really what Jesus is saying. 
Because if you try to have two masters, you're going to hate one and love the other, or to be devoted to one and despise the other. So the question today is this. Who is your master? Is it God? Is God the one who, who has your full devotion, your full loyalty? You need to think about that. And I want to point out one other thing here. We talked about serving as actually to be slaving. We talked about master, which means the Lord or master of slaves. And then we have this idea of God versus mammon. Mammon is an Aramaic term for wealth or for money. And some scholars say that mammon is a Syrian god of wealth and riches, which makes sense when you think about this. We're talking about serving God or or serving or being enslaved to the false god or this false or this idol called mammon. He's clearly, Jesus is clearly telling us that we have a choice. Are we going to serve God or are we going to serve this idol called money? Mammon represents the, the systems of this world, the, the, the financial systems of this world. It's, it represents uh, everything that our world tells us is important. Now, I always say that coming to North America is a very dangerous thing for anybody in a third world country. When you come to this world, we know clearly that mammon is the god of the West. It is now. We, we have totally abandoned God. We are living now in a post-Christian culture. Uh, almost everybody has forgotten about God, and even those who call themselves Christians are divided in their loyalties, and we all know that. I don't have to get into too much detail on that. I think we can all figure that out for ourselves. Uh, one, of the, one of the big signs that this is the case is that giving in the church is, is not what it ought to be. Hey, listen, in order for us to do the work of the kingdom, in order for us to fulfill all that God wants us to do, we have to be givers. This is how the job gets done. It's when God's people say, I'm going to give a portion of what I have in order to care for the broken and the hurting of this world, the orphans and the widows of this world. I'm going to give a portion of what I have so that we can do world missions, that we can spread the good news of Jesus Christ to a broken and hurting world. But the fact is, is that Christians are not giving. They're not giving the way they ought to. Our church, I think compared to other churches, does fairly well when you look at the per capita giving. But the fact of the matter is, is that we are uh, we're nowhere close to what we could be doing if all God's people were truly givers. And the problem, again, is this divided loyalty. Now, I'm not, I'm not here to make anybody feel, feel terrible. I, I'm not trying to do that. What I'm trying to do is I'm trying to encourage you I'm trying to, to share with you this scripture to open your eyes so that you can see the true state of your own heart. And the question is this, are you serving two masters? If you're unwilling to share, if you're unwilling to give, then, then I can tell you that your master is not God. Your master is money. Money is more important to you. Mammon, the God mammon, the small g God, the God mammon, has got your loyalty. He's got your heart. It's a very serious uh, subject matter here this morning. 
And I want the Spirit of God to, to penetrate your heart. You and I need to tithe. We need to give. 10% is a, is a minimum, I believe. What we need to do is we need to give and need to give generously. As Paul says, we need to be hilarious givers. Imagine that. Giving outrageously to advance God's kingdom, to help the poor, the broken, the hurting, the needy. Who's your God today? You see, Pastor Alan, I, I gave my heart to Jesus as a child. I remember saying a prayer. Listen, how you live is the proof or the evidence of where you are right now. That tells me what you believe. If you are unwilling to share, if you're unwilling to give, then I have to assume that it's not important to you. So Jesus tells us you can't serve God and be enslaved to mammon. Where is your heart? You know where your heart is based on where your treasure is. And if you're looking forward to heaven, well, then, then you will be giving and storing up for yourself treasure in heaven. That's what we read in the in verses 19, 20, and 21. If you're a stingy person, then we know what your worldview is. That's what we read in verse 22 and 23. If you are a generous person, then that is your worldview, shaped by the Spirit of God, shaped by the teachings of Jesus Christ. You want to give. You can't stand to see 120 children unsponsored. You want to make sure they're sponsored. Some of us think, well, I sponsored one child. That's good enough. Is it? Is it good enough? I want you to, to really think deeply about this. I'm not pressuring anybody, and I'm not trying to put a guilt trip on anybody, but I really want you to start thinking deeply about who your God is. Some say, well, I've got to make sure I have enough for myself. Well, that is a really good question. How much is enough? I was uh, listening to, uh, I, and I, I find it interesting to listen to documentaries, but it was a documentary about the rich and the famous, and in one of these documentaries, it talked about a woman, a Russian woman, who was actually in the French Riviera. She was enjoying her time uh, with her husband and her baby, and then suddenly she realized that she had forgotten to bring the baby monitor with her. And so one of the uh, servants said, let me uh, go to the local store and I'll buy you a new one. And the woman said, no, I want my baby monitor for my baby, and she, she put her servant on a plane to fly back to Russia to pick up the baby monitor to bring it back to her. It is absolutely mind-boggling. You can't get your mind around that kind of, of waste, of that kind of, of wealth, where you would spend money like that while there are people starving to death around the world. Clearly, we know that this woman, this wife of a Russian oligarch, we know that she and her husband love and serve mammon. But before we get too uppity, and before we start pointing fingers and clicking our tongue at, at this waste, consider yourself for a moment. 
Where are you at? How do you waste money? What do you spend money on? Do you really need more clothes? Do you really need more jeans? Do you really need another purse, more shoes? And the list goes on. Look at, I'm not saying that, that, that we shouldn't enjoy our life, but there's a bigger question here. What is the Lord's will? For a Christian, a Christian is not like an unbeliever where we get to do whatever we want. No, we are, we are slaves to our master and our Lord, and we ask, Lord, what would you have me to do? How would you have me spend my money? If the Lord is your master and he's your king, then the thing that is at the top of your mind is, what is what's the Lord's will? How shall I spend my money? You see, it's not really your money. It's his. When you became a Christian, you gave everything. You gave your life to him. You gave your resources to him. Everything became his. And you became what we call a steward, someone whose job it is to caretake that which is entrusted to you. That's your job. That's my job. And so at the end of the day, I have to ask the question, Lord, what do you want me to do? How would you have me spend my money? Yeah, that's what it means to be a Christian. At the beginning of Jesus' ministry, Matthew chapter 4, verse 17, Jesus, after the temptation, after he was tempted in the wilderness, he came out preaching and he said, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Why does Jesus begin his ministry with those words? Well, it's for this reason. Because if you are going to be a citizen of the kingdom of God, then you need to understand what it means to be a citizen of the kingdom of God. You need to understand what God's expectations are. So when we talk about repent, we're talking about a change in the way we live and a change in the way we think. We no longer live the way we used to live. When we're born again, we start to live as Jesus calls us to live. So on the one hand, he's telling us to repent, to change And then the question is, well, what should I change? And that's where the Sermon on the Mount comes in. The Sermon on the Mount tells us what needs to change. Now, for some of us, when we hear the Sermon on the Mount, we just feel it's so oppressive and so many rules and it's a heavy weight to carry. Folks, if if you're not born again, then it is a heavy weight to carry and it is difficult to listen to this. But if you're born again and the spirit of the living God dwells within you richly, then these are words of life. These are thrilling words because it tells you exactly what God's expectations are. And it tells you how to live your life. That's how I know a person's converted. Their hunger and their desire is to do the will of God. And the more we know of the will of God, the happier we are because we know exactly then how to please the Lord. So Jesus tells us what he wants. He wants us to serve our one true master. His name is Yahweh, God. His name is Jesus Christ. Now, Jesus tells us that we must serve or be a slave to God alone. This is what the Apostle Paul says after we're born again. He says, previously, 
You let yourselves be slaves to impurity and lawlessness, which led ever deeper into sin. Hey, do you know that when you and I are serving ourselves, when we're living for ourselves, when we're doing whatever we want to do, when we are pursuing wealth or money or possessions or things, Paul reminds us that it leads us deeper into sin, and it's true, isn't it? That's what Paul says to Timothy as well. Yeah, he says, don't you realize that you become the slave of whatever you choose to obey? For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil, and some people craving money have wandered from the true faith and pierced themselves with many sorrows, 1 Timothy 6, 10. When you're a slave to sin and a slave to money, You're a slave to impurity, and the next thing you find yourself sliding deeper and deeper into sin. If you're fearful and worried about money, you're afraid of how I'm going to pay the bills, how am I going to make ends meet? Well, what's happening now is that you have taken your eyes off of God, who is called Jehovah Jireh, our provider. When you get your eyes off of God, then suddenly you find yourself falling into the sin of fear, the sin of of worry, which I'm going to talk about next week. You find yourself sliding into the sin of, of, of faith, of being unfaithful and, and, and not having faith. Yes, as, as, as slaves to God, we trust him. We, we obey him. We do whatever he says, and we trust that he will take good care of us because he's our master. But here's the thing. When, when you were not a Christian, before you were born again, you let yourselves be slaves to impurity and lawlessness, and you just find yourself going deeper and deeper and deeper into sin. That's what happens to everybody who loves money. I've seen families fall apart over money. I've seen marriages fall apart. In fact, the number one problem in, in marriages is, is money, and it's, let's, let's just Stated bluntly, it's the love of money. And he's jealous of the way she spends money. She's jealous of the way he spends money. And, I mean, you know the arguments. You've heard them. You've had them. But Paul says, now that you're born again, you must give yourselves to be slaves to righteous living so that you will become holy. Isn't that powerful? When you are a slave to God alone, a slave to righteous living, you then become holy. What does that mean? Well, when you start doing God's will, because that's what being a slave to righteousness is, this, this righteous living, it means that you are doing the will of God all the time. You're not doing your will. When you are doing the will of God, then you will become holy. That's what holiness is. Holiness is doing the will of God every time. That's why we say that that you need to follow habit number three, which is moment-by-moment holiness, doing God's will every time and not your will. Every decision you make is not, well, what do I want to do? It's what does God want me to do? We see the supreme example of this in Christ, who in the Garden of Gethsemane, hours before going to the cross, is having this prayer meeting with God where he's pouring out his heart to the Lord. And what does he say? He says, God, if it's possible, take this cup from me. In other words, if there's another way, then God save me from the cross. I don't want to be crucified. I don't want to hang on the cross. But Lord, not my will, but yours be done. And this is really what it always comes down to. 
If you and I are going to be followers of Jesus Christ, it's, it's never what do I want, but what does God want me to do? How does God want me to spend my life? How does God want me to live my life? Do you know Adam and Eve in the garden, chapter 3 of Genesis? They have it all. A beautiful home. It's, a, it's called paradise, actually. It's that beautiful. There's never been a place like it before or since. But in chapter 3, Satan comes along. Let's call him Mammon, shall we? And he, he tempts Adam and Eve with this fruit. Now, back then, there was, no, there was no money, but there were things to lust after. In 1 John 2.16 He says, for everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life comes from the from the Father, but from the Father of this, not from the Father of this, of our Father, but from the Father of this world, and his name is Satan. Think about that. Adam and Eve are tempted by the God Mammon. Their eyes lust after this special fruit. We don't know what it is exactly but we know it's forbidden, and God says, don't eat of it. But their desire, their lust to own it, to have it, overcomes them, and they reject the one true God and choose the false God, Mammon. And in that moment, all manner of sin enters in. They're evicted from the Garden of Eden. They, they lose their special status, their special position of sweet communion with God. They lose their home. They lose everything. That's Genesis chapter 3. Genesis chapter 4, their sons, one son kills the other. Cain kills Abel. By chapter 6, just three chapters later, God's talking about destroying the world because it is, it is so perverse, so perverted, so wicked, and so devoted to the God mammon. I want you to think about that. Because if you love mammon, if you love money, you are in for great grief and struggle and difficulty. And maybe that's you right now. As I'm speaking to you, you know full well that that's your problem. That's why you are in the condition that you're in. You started to love money more than God. There's one way to break that spirit of greed, and it's to give. It's to imitate your Father in heaven, and he's a giver. One of the things that I did when I first entered the ministry is I made up my mind that I was going to give more than 10% even though I hardly had enough money to live on. I had enough money to pay for my car and pay for my apartment and put a little bit of gas in my vehicle. That was it. But I, and, and of course, to tithe and to give over and above that. That's between me and the Lord. But my wife and I, from day one, when we got married, we made up our minds. We are going to give well over and above. And here's what the Lord has done for us. He has provided for us every step of the way. Our first priority always is to give. 
And then we have seen God's rich provision in our lives. Not just for glory and for me, but for, for our children, Jesse, Nicholas, and Sarah. God has provided. And we have lived a relatively stress-free life because we have decided to serve the one true master, our Lord and Savior, our God, who calls us to have a generous eye, a generous worldview, to give. Here's what Paul says in Romans 6, 16. He says, don't you realize that you became the slave of whatever you choose to obey? What are you obeying? Are you obeying your own impulses? Are you obeying the tempter who's constantly whispering in your ear saying, you need to to look out for number one. You need to take care of yourself. You need to go and have a spa. You need to spend money on yourself. You you need to go and shop and, and make yourself feel better. He's a liar and a thief. He'll do everything in his power to make your life miserable. And Paul says, don't you realize that you're a slave of whatever you choose to obey? So here's the thing. If you're choosing to obey yourself or the, the impulses of the selfish nature of Satan himself, uh, then you're in trouble. You're in big trouble. But if you want to know happiness and joy and have the peace of God that passes all understanding, then you have to understand that you need to serve God, that, that you are a slave to that master. Paul says you can be a slave to sin, which leads to death, or you can choose to be a slave to God, which leads to righteous living. So what's it going to be? You see, at the end of the day, it's not about money. It's about obedience to God. And this is something that we fail to understand. What is the will of God in my life? What does he want me to do? This is why Jesus tells us to pray every day. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And interestingly, after he tells us to pray that, then he tells us to pray, give us this day our daily bread. Provide for us and meet our needs. But my friends, there's no point in asking God for anything if you haven't first made up your mind to say, God, I'm going to do your will every time. What are you a slave to? Bob Dylan was right when he said you've got to serve somebody. But you're going to have to serve somebody. Yes, indeed, you're going to have to serve somebody. Well, it may be the devil or it may be the Lord, but you're going to have to serve somebody. I think it's interesting that when that song came out, it was, a, it was a hit. He won the Grammy for that. But John Lennon mocked it. And he famously criticized the song, and he wrote a parody song entitled, Serve Yourself. That was his response. Serving yourself, folks, is the religion of the unbeliever. Did you know that? You want to know... I hear people say, well, I'm not religious. Yes, you are. Everybody's religious. And Bob Dylan got it right. You're, you're going to serve somebody. You're either going to serve yourself, which leads to sin and sorrow. And folks, that's why I got into, this is, this is why I'm a, a pastor, a preacher. This is why I got into the ministry. God called me to tell people the good news about Jesus Christ. When you serve the Lord Jesus Christ, it sets you free. It gives you purpose. It gives you direction in this life. You begin to to share in the very nature of God himself. You become like God when you give and when you share. But when you serve yourself, you become stingy, self-centered, 
become ugly. And that is precisely what happened to John Lennon. Over and over, the New Testament speaks of Christ as our Lord and our Master. You've got to get this idea into your head and into your heart. If Jesus Christ is not your master, if you are not taking guidance and instruction from the master, then I can guarantee you that you are, are not a happy Christian or you're not a Christian at all. Paul tells us clearly that we are bond slaves to Christ. I know some people find that extremely, extremely offensive. And yet that is what it says. Now let me just tell you the cold facts here. Anybody who divides his allegiances between God and mammon has already given in to mammon. And I'll tell you why. God will not share his glory with anybody. God must be served wholly, 100%, or not at all. So if you think that you can do a juggling act and serve God and, and also pursue money, I'm telling you, it's not possible. God must be served with an entire and a complete devotion. The Old Testament is full of examples of times in the lives of Israel when they chose to serve God and serve mammon and serve their own ideas, their own purposes, their own flesh. And every time they went into slavery, every time they went into exile, and the same thing will happen to you. Don't allow yourself to pursue mammon. If the Spirit of God speaking to you right now, then I implore you in the name of Jesus, before this day is out, get on your knees before the Lord and confess your sin and ask him to forgive you for your divided loyalty. Because God, God will not allow a divided loyalty in his people. It's not possible. You either serve God 100% or not at all. God will not share that. If your allegiances are divided, well, the sad fact is you are serving an idol. You are not serving God. It's not possible. So what are you doing with your money? Does it belong to God? What are you doing with your life? Does it belong to God? Are you doing his will on earth as it is in heaven? Whatever you choose to obey is what you become the slave to plain and simple as that. Let me just close with this verse here. But now, Paul says, those of us who are converted, those of us who are born again, you are free from the power of sin and have become slaves of God. Now you do those things that lead to holiness and result in eternal life. Again, what is holiness? Holiness it means that you are separated as unto God. Holiness means that all that you are and all that you do and all that you have is used for God's glory, for his purpose. Not for yourself, but for God. Are you willing to say that? God, here am I. 
Here's what I have. Here's what I own. It's all yours. I give it to you, Lord. Father, tell me what you'd have me to do, and I will obey. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for this teaching that tells us how to live in this world. God, you've given us in this passage three excellent metaphors. The metaphor of the treasure, the metaphor of the worldview, generous versus stingy, and then, of course, the metaphor of the master and slave. You're teaching us, God, what it means to follow you with our whole heart. We're asking in the name of Jesus, give us the grace, the power, and the strength from heaven to live as you've called us to live. Because, God, we can't do it on our own. We know what our heart is like. It's like Adam and Eve. Our hearts lust after the things of this world. We ask you to forgive us our sin. And do a work in us by your spirit, enabling us, O oh God, to live the life you've called us to live for your glory and honor. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you.